about the church and the tradition and prayerfully the Lord is kind to reveal himself to us through that. So um, our sermon, which would be the next, our sermon this morning, we come from Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, and we'll talk about the danger of unbelief, okay, the danger of disbelief or unbelief. And um, before we jump, let's talk a little bit of background, a little bit about where we came from last week. If you remember last week, we talked about uh, the healing of the woman with the issue of blood from Mark chapter 5, as well as the resurrection of the daughter of Jairus, right? She had died from a terrible illness. And we talked about the nature of their faith and their interaction, their experience with Jesus as he responded to their faith. And I defined faith last week as believing in Jesus to do for us or to be for us what we are incapable of being and doing for ourselves. And uh, from the two passages, we gave three reasons why Jesus is, or Jesus warrants, or is worthy of our faith or persistent belief. And we'll uh, put them up here just to remind you. The first reason was because faith moves Jesus to act on our behalf. The second one is because there is no limit to what Jesus can do for those who believe. And lastly, because Jesus is incredibly compassionate. And these are reasons we, we, Jesus warrants our belief, why he's worthy of it. Well, this week, Mark goes on to telling us an altogether opposite story. And in this story, he's not speaking about the faith or persistent belief of the characters, but speaking about their disbelief. Okay, he's speaking about their lack of faith or belief in Jesus. And so I want us to look at this story to better help us recognize when we experience similar patterns of disbelief in our own lives. When we experience temptation to disbelieve Jesus rather than truly trust in him. But before we do that, let me offer a definition for disbelief. So we'll define disbelief this morning as the intentional rejection of who Jesus reveals himself to be for and to us. Okay? And in this way, when we look at disbelief this way, then disbelief falls squarely into the category of sin or a wrongdoing against the Lord, right? Because we'll find that the people in this passage, they were not dealing with a matter of just doubt, right? Wrestling with doubt. Wrestling with doubt comes along with the, with the journey of faith, amen? If you've ever sought to trust Jesus to walk this Christian life, you struggle with doubt. That's a part of it. There's also an element of ignorance, right? There's just things you don't know, and you continue to come to church and read your Bible, and you learn, and you grow in your understanding and knowledge and faith. That's a part of it. But that's not what these people were dealing with. They were dealing with a willful, intentional, active rejection of Jesus and the truth he proclaimed. That's the nature of their disbelief. And if we're honest, we all feel temptation to just reject Jesus and, and the things he says sometimes, right? For whatever reason. So I want us to look at this text and to figure out how we can battle these temptations in our own life. And so we're coming from Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, a very short passage, although I have a lot to say about it. And so we'll read, we will pray, and then we'll jump in. So Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, says, Jesus left there and went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom 
that has been given him. What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? And the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me, friends. God, I thank you for worship this morning. I thank you for the faithful service of Barry and those who are up here singing and And Jesus, like Barry said, I'm just so grateful that you've been pleased to join us in a very special way every Sunday we've been here in worship. I just don't want to take it for granted. Thank you for your kindness to meet us, to pour yourself into us, to allow us to pour ourselves out unto you in worship. And Lord God, as we come before you this morning seeking to hear from your word, I pray that you would grant us clarity. Grant me through Holy Spirit clarity in delivering the sermon. Grant us clarity in our hearts and minds in receiving exactly what it is you desire for us to hear from you this morning. Lord, let not one of us leave this morning the same we came. Change us. Save us. Deliver us. Redeem us. Make us in every way the men, women, and children of God that you've called us to be, that, Lord Jesus, you've died for us to be this morning. May your name be glorified. And all this we ask in your matchless name, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. And so our passage begins by telling us that Jesus is returning to his hometown of Nazareth, and he's returning with his disciples and just a understanding of the culture of the time, it was actually common for rabbis or Jewish teachers to take their their disciples, the the people they were teaching, home with them. And so Jesus is just taking them on to Nazareth, to his hometown. And as was Jesus' custom, he goes into the synagogue on Saturday, the Sabbath day, um, in order to teach. So he's given the honor of teaching on the scripture reading of the day. And Mark tells us that the people who hear him, his own townsfolk, his own people, right, from his town, they're amazed at the wisdom that he displays in the teaching. But we learn fairly quickly that their amazement wasn't due to any level of delightful shock or delightful surprise in what Jesus was saying we find that they were shocked because they didn't expect such wisdom to come from one of their own. They didn't expect such wisdom to come from somebody like Jesus. As a matter of fact, Mark tells us that they were actually offended because Jesus dared to speak to them the way he did, to do miracles among them the way he he did. And listen to the questions that they ask, right? They say, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? And and these these aren't innocent questions that they're asking. They're actually veiled insults. 
In actuality, what they were saying was, how dare this man have such wisdom, right? And when, and, and when they called him the son of Mary, what they were actually alluding to was that controversy surrounding his birth. If you know the story that we tell at Christmas. And what they were actually saying about Jesus was, hey, you're talking all good, but guess what? We know that Joseph ain't your daddy. It was an opportunity to insult Jesus. And so Jesus simply being who he is and displaying the infinite wisdom and power that he held bred contempt in the hearts of his own people, his own town folk. And I want to say something at this point as an aside. This is a free part. This is not the part that you paid for this morning. But just as an aside, I want to say this to you, brothers and sisters, because I feel like it's important for someone to hear. Listen, don't be surprised if people get upset because you aspire to be something more than you were. Don't be surprised when people get upset just because you aspire to greater things, just because Jesus is doing bigger and better things through and in your life. Because here's the unfortunate thing. There's something about the brokenness of humanity where we just don't like to see other folks doing better sometimes. It's the age-old sin, brothers and sisters, of being... A hater. Simple as that. The age-old sin of being a hater, and here is the unfortunate, here is the unfortunate truth. Hate is alive and well in the church. We have to fight hard against it. We have to fight hard against it. And this is why here at Redeemer... We take great pains to be as intentional as we can about celebrating the good things in our life. We go through great pains to make sure that we celebrate every good thing that happens, the marriages, the jobs, the school, the everything, because we want to be a people that celebrate the progress of our brothers and sisters. Amen? We want to celebrate and not hate. Right? We want to celebrate our people who are doing great and make sure to not hate. So just take that. That was free. Take that. Put it aside. All right? You got a bonus this morning. But looking back at our passage, looking back at our passage, Mark tells us that the people's hate for Jesus was so great and their faith was so small that he couldn't do but a few miracles among them. Their lack of faith hampered Jesus' freedom to do his redemptive work among them, to display his redemptive power among them. And, that's what the, the, and this, this issue tells us, this, brothers and sisters, that disbelief restricts the flow of Jesus' redemptive power in and among us. Lacking faith restricts the flow of Jesus' power among us. And I want to make this clear. When I say that lack of faith disrupts or, 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 or restricts the flow of Jesus' power, I'm not saying that us lacking faith renders Jesus powerless. That's not what I'm saying. The point I'm making is this, brothers and sisters, that Jesus does not cast his pearls before swine. Okay? Jesus does not offer the good gift of his redemptive power to people who don't value it. 
And so when we choose to disbelieve Jesus, where you remember disbelief is the active or willful rejection of who Jesus is, Jesus does not choose to display the good gift of his redemptive power. So when we're operating in disbelief in that way, we're restricting Jesus' freedom to operate the way he desires to among us. But here is the question for these people that we're talking about and for us today. Why the lack of faith? Why is it that we are tempted, like these people at times, to when Jesus shows us who he is, we reject him and choose to disbelieve? And how can we avoid responding to Jesus that way? Well, I want to share a couple of reasons this morning, and then I'll sit down. And so the first reason we're often tempted to disbelieve Jesus or reject him as he reveals himself to us is this. is because of the comfort of religion. The comfort of religion or just going through the religious motions. Brothers and sisters, hear this. Religiosity or choosing to just live a life where you just go through religious motion actually leaves little power for the po- little room for the power of God to be active among us. Ultimately, the people from Jesus' hometown rejected him because what he taught them simply made them uncomfortable. Jesus taught a way of living for God and loving others that was revolutionary. It was downright radical, and it challenged the ease and coziness of just following a few set of rules, doing a few rituals, doing a good deeds to get, to get good with God. It challenged them by calling them to have a true and radical devotion to God and love for others. And if we are not careful, brothers and sisters, we can find ourselves rejecting Jesus for the same reason, because we don't want him to come in and shake up our comfortable space. We don't want him to come in and require any more of us. You see, we're comfortable with our understanding of who Jesus is. We're comfortable with the way we've been doing our religious things in our church, right? And so we don't want Jesus to come in, and we don't want him to to require any more of us than we've been giving. Because it's been easy. It's been easy. But not only has it been easy, considering this kind of change can be scary, right? It can be scary. What if following Jesus, what if accepting Jesus, the truth that he brings, the challenge that he brings, what if it means that we have to change? What if it means that we have to go about our lives a little differently than we've been going about it? What if it hurts? What if it's, what if it's not any fun? What if it costs us something? Right? You see, brothers and sisters, religion is safe. But following Jesus isn't. Religion is safe. It's comfortable. But following Jesus isn't. It will cost us something. It will cost our submission. It will cause the denial or death of our flesh and sinful nature. It may even cost us our nearest and dearest relationships. 
But here's the good thing. It's worth it. It's worth it. The cost we pay for loving Jesus and following Jesus is worth it. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6 through 8, the Apostle Paul says, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering. This is at the end of his life. And he says, The time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight and I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, for which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearance. Brothers and sisters, living for Jesus is costly, but the cost cannot compare with the greatness of the reward. It cannot. But religiosity, right, sticking to what is comfortable, sticking to the ease of what you know, living in that life that doesn't get challenged and doesn't change, that's also costly. And it costs the very power of God at work in and among us. And brothers and sisters, it just ain't worth it. It is not worth it. As a pastor, I often get asked what I think about the sign gifts, particularly the speaking in tongues and the the healing and and those kinds of things. And and I have an opinion um, personally as a pastor. um, I have opinions on a lot of things if you want to hear them. But I have an opinion on, on these things particularly. But I always go back when I hear these questions to what I heard a friend say one time. And he said, it's not so much a matter of whether or not Jesus is actually at work doing these things or not doing things. The truth is, the the, the real question is, do we even have the faith for him to do it? If he does. It's not a matter of whether or not Jesus is still powerful. It's do we even believe in the power he has? That's the question. I love speaking about good theology and, and, and doctrine and all of that kind of stuff. And, and I was talking to somebody, oh, it was on the, the Wednesday night, and, and Dewey brought it up about the difference between Calvinism and Arminianism and all of these things that used to, used to light a fire up under me. Um, but I learned, brothers and sisters, that very often all of our theo- theological and high discussions are really just attempts to to build really neat little boxes to put Jesus in so that he does not disturb our neat little religion. All these things that we decide to talk about are just opportunities to cut off things before they can come and disturb our comfortable little religious lives. But this is to our detriment, brothers and sisters. Yes, there is good theology. Yes, there is order. But let's make sure that we continue to pursue the kind of faith that does not place boundaries around Jesus that he didn't place there for himself. Amen? Amen. So we continue to trust Jesus. And we learn from this passage this morning that religion may cause us to believe Jesus and that that religiosity leaves little room for the power of God to be active in and among us. But a second reason that we may disbelieve Jesus is simply this, because of the offense of the truth, offense of the truth of the gospel. Brothers and sisters, here's a very simple and true thing. Sometimes the gospel is offensive. Sometimes truth is offensive. 
We know the saying, right? Truth hurts. And we usually say that when we're being offensive, right? <laughs> it's not really the truth of the offensive. We're going to talk about that in a second. But we live in a time, brothers and sisters, where there is no shortage of hot button issues, right? I was in a barbershop the other day, and if you guys know anything about the black barbershop, that's the place where you're supposed to be able to say anything, right? The hot button issues have shut the barbershop down. You in the barbershop stumbling all over your words and trying to find to be politically correct, man. I've never experienced it till yesterday. It was something else. It's real. There is no short of hot button issues in the world today. And here is the fact. If you seek to speak biblical truth into any, any hot button issue, you can reasonably expect to offend somebody. That is just a fact. Biblical truth. Gospel truth is just offensive sometimes. But it's not just offensive to others. Even us, those who claim we're Christ followers, if we're really leaning into truth, the truth should offend us at times. The truth should make us uncomfortable. The truth should hurt us sometimes. But here are some takeaways for us as we consider the offense of truth. And the first takeaway is this. And this is for as we share truth. Make sure that people are offended because of the truth we share and not just because we're being offensive. Truth is not an excuse to be offensive. Amen? Amen. I've seen this. um, I haven't seen this in a while, but um, raise your hand if you've ever been uh, out in the city, downtown Atlanta, anywhere, and you see the open-air preachers. You've seen them. They usually set up a crate. Um, like a regular old crate, DJ crate or milk crate. They stand on there and they open air preach. And I've known a lot of great ones. I've seen some great, great uh, uh, open air preachers. They don't all, they're not all terrible. I've, I've seen ones that are very compassionate, kind. They're clear in their gospel presentation. They, they'll have conversations about things. They'll love people. They won't, you know, bash them. But of course, then there's the other ones that a lot of us are very, very aware of, right? It's the one who stands up on the crate and pretty much tells everybody walking by, no matter who they are, it could be a, it could be a priest in a collar, it could be, they tell everyone they're going to hell and in a handbasket, right? You've seen those people before. And I've never had a conversation with them. Maybe I should after this, but I've never had a conversation with them. But I bet that these people who are up there doing this, this open-air preaching and castigating everybody, I bet that they are under the impression that everybody walking by is not acknowledging them because they don't want the truth. Right? I bet they believe that everybody walking by is just opposed to the gospel and all those things. When me, as a Christian and as, as a pastor, as I walk by them, I don't want anything to do with what they're talking about either because it doesn't matter if it's true. It's just hateful and ugly. Sharing the truth is not an excuse to be hateful and ugly and to be offensive. I think about if a, recently, I don't know if you guys saw this on the news, a, a young man decided he wanted to find his girlfriend's uh, engagement ring to propose to her. He wanted to find the diamond himself. So he went up to uh, Montana or one of these deserted places in the world. Um, I, don't, uh, I was going to say Iowa, but I apologize, Christina. I apologize. But it's one of these places where I think, you know, there's not very many people. And he, and he, found, he found actually a, a two-carat diamond. And because he found it, wherever it is, he can keep it for free, you know. And so he found it, and, and there's a big story about how, you know, amazing this is. But I thought about that. What if this young man took this diamond, right, got it cut, made the most beautiful diamond ring ever seen? 
But he took that ring, and when he proposed to his fiance, he took it and he put it in garbage. He put it in some slimy, rotten, disgusting garbage, and he proposed to her with that, right? She would have the right to be offended at that thing, right? And she, she would probably even say no. Because no matter how beautiful that ring is, it is offensive to place that thing and give it to someone in garbage. Brothers and sisters, we have the greatest and most beautiful gift ever given in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the problem, sometimes people are rejecting it because we're giving them the gift of the gospel in garbage. Brothers and sisters, let us be careful not to present more hurdles for Jesus to have to jump over to get to his people. Let's seek to be conduits that Jesus can clearly and easily get through to others. And let me say this. We ought to share the truth in love and compassion. We ought to share the truth in love and compassion. And that does not mean that if we share the truth in love and compassion, people are going to receive it. It doesn't mean that. But if we choose the way of love and compassion, we can be certain that it is the truth that offended and not us. And so the first takeaway is this, brothers and sisters. Give the truth in love and make sure it's the truth that is offending, offending others and not us. But secondly, for us, as people who, who, who bear the truth or claim to, the second takeaway is this. If we are offended by biblical truth, then recognize that the problem is with us and not Jesus or the Bible. Recognize that the problem is with us and not Jesus or the Bible. When I was single oh so long ago, um, the verse in the Bible that probably offended me more than any other was 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1. Anybody know what that verse is? It says, It is good... For a man not to marry. And I remember that text being so offensive and thinking to myself, man, Paul, you just out of your mind on this one. Paul, you are wrong. This is not Jesus saying this. This is just Paul. I'm not going to this one. But the longer that I dealt with the text and the longer I allowed the text to, to deal the text to deal with me, I realized that the problem was with me and not with the apostle Paul and what he was saying. You see, brothers and sisters, I was expecting marriage to swoop in and cure all of my ails. I was expecting marriage to come in and be my savior. And I learned, brothers and sisters, that this kind of disillusionment was exactly what the Apostle Paul was trying to save me from. Jesus was the cure for all my ills, not who I would marry. I had to come to the realization that the deeper, truer cause of my offense wasn't the Bible, wasn't the words of the Apostle Paul, but it was my idol of marriage. It was my own idolatry. And the reason, brothers and sisters, why truth offends us from time to time is simply because truth challenges the idols of our hearts. And the reality is, the unfortunate reality is this, we will not experience the fullness of Jesus' power at work in our hearts as long as we continue to entertain idols there. 
These idols must be given up. Nothing is worth forfeiting the good that Jesus wants to do in and through us. Nothing is worth that. So lean into the offense of truth when you experience it. Because truth brings freedom. Because truth is telling us something needs to be moved so Jesus can come in and do what he does. And I want to, uh, I want to close this morning with this illustration. I have a prop. Anybody know what this is? Can you tell? It's a baseball. It's a baseball. You know, um, sometimes when you're looking for props, you just got to deal with what you get. And uh, this is a high, highlighter green baseball, but it's a baseball. It's, a baseball. it's actually a T-ball. Um, but if you were involved in fitness and you've done mobility things and all that, you, you also understand this to be a tool, Right? Often you'll take baseballs or you'll take lacrosse balls or even softballs, any kind of harder, denser ball. And what you'll do, right, in order to loosen up your muscles and, and get more free and let the body move as it should, you'll take the, the, the baseball or the lacrosse ball and you'll lean up against a, a wall or even better, the floor, right? And let's say you're, you're trying to find a, like a knot or a, a, a tight spot in your back. And you'll roll and dig in the ball until you find a particularly painful spot. And once you find that painful spot, you'll know you found it, right? And when you find that spot, you'll want to jump away from it, right? That's the knee-jerk reaction. But what you're supposed to do in order to get freedom from whatever it is that's impinging you there, you're supposed to dig into the pain and roll around on that hard ball and dig in. And sometimes, I mean, I don't know if you've ever done this, sometimes the pain will bring tears to your eyes. Right? You'll roll in your, in your back and you'll feel a pain in the shoulder or roll in your neck and feel a pain in your forehead. Or one time I was rolling up here and I felt a pain down from my knee and my toes. You know, it just, ju- but it's painful. But after a while, as you dig in and you roll into it, you start to, the pain starts to subside. And then you start to feel free. And you can move the way you're supposed to move and do as you're supposed to do, brothers and sisters, the truth that Jesus brings is like this baseball. And when the truth hurts and the truth is offensive and when we feel the pain of the truth, all that means, brothers and sisters, is that we got to lean in. Lean into it a little more and let the truth of God do its work to make us more free, to let us be as Jesus would have us to be in this world. Lean into the power of truth so that Jesus can make us exactly who he is calling us to be in this world. Brothers and sisters, lean into truth. Because disbelief, choosing to reject truth, is restricting the power of God that he is bringing to set us free. Lean into truth. Reject, reject all the things that would cause you to not trust and lean in. Don't let religion deprive you of truth this morning, brothers and sisters. Don't let the offense deprive you of truth, but lean in and experience the fullness of Jesus and his power, and his power in our lives. Amen? Let's pray together, friends. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for 